So welcome to new episode of DevSecOps Talks with me, Matthias. And today I don't have Julian Andre with me, but I have two other guests here. And that's because we're going to talk about Metal and how you provision and install your bare metal system. Uh, so welcome again, Mike. Thank you, Thanks. Matthias. Good to be, Good to be here. here. So I will think I will pass over to you, Michael, to explain more about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so Ian and I launched our our infrastructure as code startup. Um, so we developed a software platform um, called Mojo Platform that makes it uh, just really easy to build private clouds. I mean, it, to boil it down very simply, uh, we were in the industry together and uh, they actually... Uh, when I met Ian, he was working with one of our large SIs. I was with Red Hat, and um, we developed this Apex Partner Program to really focus on uh, DevOps practitioners, right? To focus on guys that were yeah. building um, uh, Kubernetes, uh, you know, containerized workloads, enterprise class. So, you know, focused on OpenShift in particular, uh, yeah. being at Red Hat, but uh, also. Um, we're very interested in, in the other players as well, Anthos and Rancher and uh, Docker, of course. So whoever uh, was in uh, the game of, of enterprise application infrastructure as it related to uh, containerized workloads uh, is where we initially got the idea. Um, oh, I shouldn't actually, Ian had the idea far before. He introduced me to the idea of creating this uh, bare metal provisioning platform. Uh-huh. And we had some synergies from a product perspective at the time. Um, and as we got to know each other and uh, he dove deeper into the technology itself, it became pretty clear that um, he had a bigger vision than what we could do at our old companies. Um, and uh, it was more open. Um, it was uh, uh, cleaner from a um, you know pure product perspective. Just, you know, there was a way to do this um, with via startup that we could not do any other way. You know, yeah. we had to build, build the code ourselves. So that uh, that's when we launched Metify about three years ago. And um, we built out the, uh, the product and uh, immediately got some really cool customers. Um, and in some ways, you know, we knew it was going to be a success just by the way it was embraced by the companies that we kind of introduced it to at an alpha level yeah. um, in our old worlds. Um, and they, you know, essentially gave us the guidance that um, helped us build the the first version, our, our beta or MVP, if you will, yeah. of what uh, Mojo Platform now has become. Um, so that's uh, that's sort of the genesis of the company. Um, and... Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's how it all got started a few years but ago. That, that sounds kind of brave because three years ago everybody was moving to the cloud. I mean, I <laughs> I remember when I when I left the, the old company, I was in the data center picking up all the servers. Yeah. I turned to my friend and say, "Martin, this is the last time I'm going to be in a data center. Mm. Remember this day." And every time now I go back, I think about that like, "Oh shit, I'm back in the data center again <laughs> with servers." <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so that's something too, you know, um, we, we do a fair amount of uh, discussions like this and, and it, it's funny because yeah, absolutely. Right. Cloud gets all the attention, um, yeah. which we, we love actually, right. Because it gave us a chance to build our product out and, and really get a nice head start and build a mode around what we do from a startup perspective. But yeah, w- without a doubt, uh, no one had treated low-level software as a first-class citizen. It was always the ultimate geek 
projects that were, you know, just kind of brewing out there, but nobody had taken a, a product all the way, almost um, sort of um, iPhone it, if you will, where it's like yeah. just an incredible user interface, really easy to use. And it makes, uh, I, I think um, the Apple uh, pod, uh, the, the AirPod things, the original one, what was that yeah. thing called? The... Um, Anyway, so the the original uh, Apple, you know, there was MP3 players that were out there, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Apple came along with the um, uh, with the, with the Pod thingy. What's that thing called? I can't believe I can't uh, remember. Mason was it iPod. iPod, iPod. There yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, I just forgot the yeah. I. Yeah, I yeah. The I part <laughs> in front of it. There it is. But but so, during uh, this, yeah, during this yeah. time, there were this tool that you used, right? But they were all terrible, like Four Man. Satellite was yeah. a red hat. I didn't know if Ubuntu made their mouse. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, metal service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had their own. But yeah, they, it. it they, yeah. They're terrible to use. And, and Matchbox from CoreOS, which is big now, but I mean, setting that up was not the easy task. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of what drove every. That's really drove the product. You know, just um, my background is heavy in data center space, and I, like you mentioned, I was always. Uh, struggling with how difficult these tools are to not only use but also set up and you know chain of custody was always an issue you know so yeah. you had multiple people touching things all over the place you couldn't track assets really well so you know we with mojo that was a major focus is make it as easy as possible to use but we wanted to make it uh appealing to people of different skill sets you know where they can um of a minimal skill set they could go in they could manage you know the basics around bare metal and instantiate, you know, whatever operating systems or stacks they wanted to, to do with um, a minimal amount of complexity. So, yeah, that was the yeah. major driver. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I have a list of questions here that I had encountered when I was setting up bare metal. And um, remember, I'm doing small bare metal cluster. I know that you're doing big, but mine are under maybe 20, 30 servers. But uh, one of the concern or like one of the things that comes up with when I'm saying bare metal is like how do you choose uh, what server to use I mean most of us yeah. only have we have the old servers running it could be a mix of different vendors and stuff uh, you want to buy some new are you going to buy the expensive uh, enterprise servers with uh, raid or what kind of when you're setting up service now for a client or something, what kind of service do you kind of recommend them to use? So you're saying like, just buy the cheapest you can get. You only have need two NICs, yeah. two P, or do you say buy the enterprise HP here? It's going to last for a long time. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of different use cases that kind of drive that. The consumption model that we find most common is, you know, one is just is if, if the market's kind of moving away from monolithic type of blades and things like that. Number yeah. one, so it's kind of down to the pizza box, nineteen inch rack mount type server, yeah. um, and uh, all of them have you know very similar processors, memory, and stuff like that. I think it comes down to. Um, what they consider is enterprise grade support. You know, do they want something that's a little more mainstream, like a Dell or HP, yeah. or are they fine? You know, with the super micro type white box, it might um, you know be a little bit different in that regard. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's just yeah, it's very much application um, driven. You know, some of the support contracts they want around it, but we're finding that cheaper servers, you know, it's just uh, you know they can run a full year, full three year life cycle yeah. through them, get what they want out of them, just pitch them. You know, and then they just go through the next round is um, is probably one of the most predominant use cases. Yeah. Um, 
the other thing I think that is is kind of important is, and this is where the line is kind of uh, is a little blurred. It's changed a bit. Is that Redfish with that advances around REST API and the standardization on that API, yeah. and that you can send very specific similar commands across a multitude of different OEMs um, and get the same result. That's really changed the mindset around what um, they're buying in the data center. A lot of times they go with cheaper assets because Redfish really does enable that functionality. Um, whereas before you might've been tied into a very old kind of monolithic tool set um, versus something that was, you know, more of an enterprise grade, you know, type of software solution. Yeah. So now that you can do that, it really changes the um, perception of what you can buy, what you can consume in the data center and keep that cost down as a result. Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge, that's a huge point right there. So open standards, Yeah, you know, six, seven years ago, no one was agreeing on any open standards at the hardware level, and they still are fighting over it, depending on which vertical or uh, industry you work in, uh, like on the mobile side is, is yeah. really interesting to watch those fights occur as well. Um, but uh, thankfully, on the compute side and, and storage, largely, um, things have really accelerated in terms of open standards and but can you tell me more what you what you do with the Redfish? Is it for power on servers? Is it for controlling networks? Or how, how uh, do you use it? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting, it's a great question because uh, a lot of the perception that, you know, you hear is it's very much compute, you know, type, you know, it's, it's more for like that sort of um, functionality and servers. But in reality, Redfish is expanding further out in the data center, we're seeing use cases emerge all the time that are addressing these, these new spaces. So example is the Yang to Redfish model, which uh, allows you to interact with switches through, through NetConf. Um, so there's that, there's that understanding with the stand, the standard, if it is to succeed in the data center, yeah. um, it does, it, it does indeed have to um, kind of work its way into all these different areas, you know, air conditioners, great example, you know, yeah. power, you know, power panels, you know, having the ability to be able to determine these things and control those through that API is um, going to be very important. So as, as you see the DMTF um, draft more standards, it's very much data center information management focused rather constrained to, you know, a server or, you know, a rack is an example. But then the, can you use that as a, as a standard, then when you're buying things, okay, I want to look at its servers. Well, if it can support Redfish, then uh, I can go for that switch and that server, and then you know that you can expand it yep. and use it later. Then, exactly, yeah. and that and and that exact what you just mentioned that is um, one of the questions that's really coming up in a lot of these buys now. Yeah. Is, you know, is does it have the standardized API? You know that um, that will accept standard you know API calls. You know, and we're not getting locked into a uh, siloed and proprietary tool that may not be flexible, yeah. you know, within our new model, you know, all the DevOps tools, all the um, yeah. automation frameworks and stuff. It needs to be friendly. Yeah. Ah, cool. So, I mean, that's one of the, that's the core level. Like you choose your servers, you set up your network, but now you need to provision your server. I mean, installing the operation system. And for that, you need some network tools right you need to have a dc yes. server you need to have a dns and i'm guessing you pick boot everything mm -hmm. correct yeah so first question is like what do you set for boot order for your servers is always pixie first or is it <laughs> hardware and then pixie 
Yeah, it's a great question. So we the, the way we generally handle that is there's a there's a one time pixie boot yeah. that we we push forward and then that launches that specific image, yeah. you know, and then it installs it of course, and then when the server reboots the next time, it just loads into that that bootloader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but you always how do you bundle it? How do you install your provision? Because you know when I'm setting up, I want to provision my servers, but I also want to provision my provisioning tools, right? And now I can't provision my provisions tool because I don't have any provision. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then you go back to installing Ubuntu or whatever and the SSH and all that, you know, going back to installing a server. And that's yeah. really not what I'm asking for here. I did see one one uh, one client now, one Pixie, and they use the Kubernetes cluster. So you install a Kubernetes cluster and then you install your provisioning tool in the cluster. And mm-hmm. then you can use that to set up a cluster and then move it later. But uh, yes. So, so, what's your take on the provisioning tool? How do you think you should have a server that you run by the side that is like installed and that control the provision? Or uh, what? Yeah, I, I think it's um, you know we, the way we we kind of structure the platform is that um, everything that's provisioned on it is through the standard Pixie process. Yeah. So you can put whatever operating system course you want on that. And then you can build whatever tooling you want to accompany that. So um, a lot of customers have their own flexible kind of automated framework they'll build and they'll put it on, you know, a specific VM or they'll put on a piece of another piece of metal yeah. to manage those clusters. So the way we kind of interact with it is we we really focus heavily on the pre-seed, you know, the kickstart yeah. and all that to make sure all those customized options are there. That operating system gets baked exactly how they want it on that node, and then at that point, the customer can use Ansible, Terraform, you know, okay. uh, yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. whatever they like to use to be able yeah. to um, stand up the rest of the infrastructure. Yeah. So you more or less then uh, kickstart the installation, put in the OS, and then uh, you you leave it with like SSH access or some kind of access then to to the nodes, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then we, we kind of have a handoff process that we have in our service catalog for our platform is you can build, you know, your own service catalogs with all of those automated pieces in it that interact with the metal um, consistently. So there's kind of like a constant feedback loop, you know, into the into the API so you can tell the hardware to do very specific things that might um, be important. You know, when you're when you're yeah, yeah, yeah. bringing up nodes, elasticities, like as an example, somebody might want SRIOV enabled. You know, for um, specific network operations, that's something that we'd handle, and that would be communicated into the BIOS that enable it as part of that workflow. And then they may, let's say, need specific firmware um, on the systems. We would handle all that, yeah. bring the systems up to a firmware rev, and then kind of hand it off to the point yeah. uh, where, where they can they can run with it. So that. then really what's happening is like you install your provisioning tool or some bare metal server in the network. Uh, one of the servers use boot it with IPMI or something so you can kick it again or uh, yeah you start the server it goes out to network pixie boot get the image download the image and run the installation and then reboot and the second time it boots up on the hard drive then and then you have your operations level uh, yeah so, yep so and for changing or like choosing different images then just use the, the mac address on the network card like uh, everybody else, right? Yeah, Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you still need to know. If you don't, do you have like a standard? One of the things I have is like all my bare metal should just install the same image, right? I don't care. Just take one. But 
I need to add the MAC address all the time for everybody. Do you have some tool to uh, enable uh, a standard installation? We do. Um, it's it's built into the, the platform, so we have some identification there that um, takes place. Ah, cool, cool, cool. Nice, nice, nice. So another take then. When you install, you have your bare metal cluster now running. Uh, you have installed them with the OS level. Do you always install... Uh, like the operation system directly on the bare metal, or do you sometimes use like a virtualization layer between here? Yeah, so that's a great question. We do both. Um, you know, we, we obviously the bare metal use case is our first one, but we also have service catalogs um, items in place okay. that focus on um, instantiating a hypervisor stack. So, you know, if somebody wants to type to hypervisor, we can put, you know, VMware stack on that as an example with uh, vCenter or Proxmox or whatever the kind of the flavor is, we do have the ability to be able to do that. And then we can automate beyond that in conjunction with APIs for those specific hypervisors to instantiate additional infrastructure, virtual infrastructure inside of those environments. Ah, so take it one second. But what are your takes of the pro, pros and currents against like bare metal and then virtualization? Because when I run, I run usually Kubernetes cluster, and then I want that on the metal to be quick, right? I don't need that virtualization layer the issue then is that you're bound to the bare metal boxes you cannot uh, like dynamically add more servers or string because you have your servers and if you want to reinstall something you need to take one server out i mean uh, yes yeah absolutely um yeah again real use case driven but um yeah we have uh we have customers that um, do both of those and they have um, specific use cases for those. But um, the, from the automated perspective in terms of the uh, virtualized infrastructure, um, a lot of the additional functionalities that are important, like you mentioned, the scalability, you know, being able to, to instantly scale um, instances inside of that environment, that's something that um, we enable. But again, our focus is kind of like around instantiating that initial stack. Yeah. And then whatever automated framework needs to be in place to be able to do the virtual machines, um, yeah, we we obviously will be able to cover some of that as well for the customer. Yeah, cool, cool. So one of the issues that uh, I have is that I you know you boot up your 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 cluster or whatever, and then you find that oh on this node I need to do this manual <laughs> step here, like I need to add uh, storage or I need to fix this Docker daemon or something. Hmm. Now I have a problem, right? I can, I can of course fix it manually, but I can also fix it in the image, right? But then I need to reinstall that server to have it fix the boot. Do you have any? How do you solve this issue? You know, when you have a when you have a system, it's it's alive, and then manual things you change your images and you need to reinstall them do you always support that reinstall and then you're back to the same state or how do you handle this like custom uh, settings on, on servers yeah so on the up from an image standpoint we have um we have a, a setup within the software that allows you to have multiple different images of different revisions in there yeah. so when you do go through and you select the image you want to deploy there's um, whatever revision you want for a specific uh, implementation. Yeah. So in the same thing in the service catalog, the way we handle that is we just allow the customer to select um, any of those revisions that may have those changes yeah. specifically and then redeploy that image on you know the bare metal host. Yeah. 
But you're always baking uh, the full image with all the settings and then uh, apply that to, to the server. Correct. Yeah. 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 So with the, yeah. So the way we generally handle that is um, there's a couple different uh, processes in place where you would boot just a standard ISO image. Yeah. And then there's also where you kind of like de decompile, if you will, the ISO image so you can make changes on the fly. Yeah. And then that's that makes it a little bit easier because you can get automated tools in there um, easier because you're not having to decompress and then recompress the image and then you know, repost it. Um, so we have yeah. ways that we can um, make those modifications a little bit easier, a little bit uh, faster um, with the way that we do that within our but software. Do you know, do you use some like tool we can get? Because I usually use like ignition files, you know, you boot up your Linux server and then you go fetch the server and then run those scripts or adding files to to make the change. I mean, uh, I usually use Matchbox or something similar tool, it boots up and then you get your clear, clean like Linux image and then it fetches the ignition or whatever to make the small changes. So they are separate. Like here's like the OS and here's my changes and then you apply them together to, to have your result. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, and those are, um, you know, kind of like more customer-centric decisions and how they're implementing that within our, our software. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. So another box I have is like uh, storage. Storage, storage, storage. Uh, you know, when you're not that big, you have servers and then they have uh, disks. And you want to use the disk on the servers to make like a storage. I mean, it's really simple. Just buy a NAS or whatever and plug it in. I mean, but... Have you ever encountered how do you use this uh, to add disk from multiple servers and make some mm -hmm. some cluster between them? Or how are your thoughts about yeah. uh, storage? Is it always NAS for you, or is it like local storage as well? It, it's a, it's a combination. So the, the way we generally handle that is there's there's a couple elements that are important. One is this is an area that I've always seen is, is fairly deficient in a bare metal provisioning process because there's a lot of thought into creating a distributed cluster, yeah. like, you know, stuff cluster or something. That's one yeah. thing. But what a lot of uh, the bare metal provisioning platforms aren't really focused on is what about under the hood and the server? There's a lot of settings within yeah. that server that need to be in place to be able to make that happen. Yeah. So that's a huge focus for us. You know, you, you want to be able to, example, take a RAID card. You want to flip that from a traditional hardware RAID mode to more of an HBA-centric mode where it's it's uh, producing a, um, SATA drives yeah. that are displayed for uh, stretched and you know, distributed file systems. Yeah. So our focus... Um, first and foremost, is really getting that under control and within the platform, allowing users to be able to change those things and build that system for that specific storage workload as a one-click type of workload. Okay. Yeah. And then what we do is, um, from that point forward, is if the customer wants to deploy a NAS, there'd be a standard image maybe they have for that to be able to deploy that on the metal. Um, but we also have in our service catalog the ability to be able to create more complex type of deployment routines. Yeah. So as an example, if you're doing Ceph and you want to deploy that, that's something that we had built into our service catalog. There's an automation that takes place. And what we really have focused on is more kind of like deterministic hardware matching for some of this stuff. So um, you know, server has, a customer has a thousand servers, as an example. They want to be able to quickly identify um, what, uh, what storage subsystems those servers have you know, maybe what processors memory they have. So that's one of the things we've done is we've tagged all these assets. We have it in a centralized um, database and then it's easy to query those. But not only that, but you can take those specific set of constraints 
this, these CPUs, these memory, this specific storage footprint, and you can actually add that into the provisioning workflow. So instead of a customer you know, running around the data center trying to figure out, I'm going to use these HP or these Dell systems, they might have a specific requirement where I just want a system that has a Xeon 6244 yeah, gold yeah, processor yeah. with, you know what I mean, five you know, SSDs yeah, of this yeah, size. Yeah, yeah. And then it presents that. And then at that point, with those constraints, it can install whatever distributed storage system as an example you'd want on that. But that's interesting. I mean, one of the things is that what you do when you pick servers, if you have a RAID card, if you want to use the hardware RAID, or you want to take the disk and add it to a more software RAID and have it more distributed like Ceph or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a great, great talk. And, and then, I mean, one of the issues as well, now when I'm in installing bare metal, uh, you install your OS, like your Linux, say that we're not running a monetization using like Ubuntu or something. And new versions are coming up and new updates. So you can treat them kind of differently. You want to do you know, update the server continuously, right? But then you need access to the server and keep a tool that keeps them update or just reinstall them like regularly. Right. Say that you do like uh, AWS approach or like the cloud. The cloud more or less mm-hmm. like just throw it away and make a new one. Uh, how is to take also in bare metal to use that cattle approach and you know, just destroy the server and reinstall it? Or do you want to keep it running more like a, more like a pet and update it? Right. Yeah. So our, our model, um, you know, again, we, we have the ability to put multiple revisions in there. We can also do automation around that. So, you know, if there's a, a standardized process for a group of metal yeah. that needs to take place based on an operating system constraint or a version, you know, these things can actually be stitched and automated in, into our product where we can push that out at specific intervals or, you know, if there's a major hardware refresh as an example and you know exactly what needs to happen from that revision, we have the ability to be able to do that within our software. So then you don't need maybe access, give access to people or a system to keep them updated. You just, you just update them centrally and then you keep them going like, like right. that. And just well, reinstall and, them, yeah. Right. And one of the great things about the way we, we look at that is um, we have the, the concept of pools in our, in our um, software. So you can move whatever servers you want of specific constraint into that pool. It could be a rack, it could be a data center, it could be an AZ, whatever the customer basically wants that pool to be. Those servers would be kind of pre-positioned in that pool. And then that pool has a set of role-based access controls around it. So you can actually set those constraints, but we also have focused on policy. So those role-based access users may only, you might only want them to update firmware. Or they may only be like a um, storage administrator. I mean, there's there's policies that are in place that kind of uh, keep you know box certain groups in based on certain constraints and what's in that pool, and it really uh, reduces the propensity for you know um, runaway you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> type of type operations. There's also the some for more enterprise grade. I, I can see all my service in my rack. You know, I mean, right. I can see them here. Right? I just more or less push a button and then reinstall. But it's it's nice to have that approach of, you know, when you start using services more and more cattle, you like re and, and get that system running smoothly, right? Uh, and then keep throwing and installing. You get to a better point, more or less. It's a hard, lot of work because sometimes it's really easy just to fix it with access. But yeah. if you keep it running... Um, right. The system will be more and, stable and run for longer uh, safety. Right, yeah. it, Exactly. And the problem is like, uh, you know, the, the speed in which servers are being added into these large kind of hyperscale data centers, yeah. <clears throat> the, 
the time and the effort really and the, the pain is is around the pre-positioning of that server to even get it to a point where you put it in a pool and it can be used. So so that's one of our major focuses, you know, all the lifecycle, BIOS settings, firmware updates, making sure that system is is meeting a very specific set of criteria for the organization. Um, so it can even get to the point, you know, where it can be used reliably within a production type of setting. Cool, cool, cool. So it, I have my boxes here in my notebook, and I think we, we crossed the first two here, like setting up the servers and like the physical thing with setting up servers. And then now we have the OS level running. So the next box for me is like, it's the application level, right? You have your operation system. Now you need something to run on it, right? For me, it's, it's more or less always Kubernetes because that's just what I use. But of course, you support more, multiple things there. But uh, and you say you have like a service catalog that you apply, but of course, you can do multiple things here. But do you choose when you install the image what services you want to add, or is it two different steps like operation system and then? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, yeah. we kind of uh, we kind of separated that point where you know our, the main focus of Mojo is really to get that operating system footprint yeah. on this on the node into an exact state the customer can use for whatever automated um, workflow they want to provide. So um, our service catalog is kind of where it steps out of the normal realm of just server manage server management and bringing the server up oh, to okay, okay. A, a level of firmware. Yeah. It focuses on um, not only the operating system provisioning, but if a customer has, let's say, a complete footprint. So as an example, we have a, a VMware install. There might be an OpenShift that's deployed inside of that. Yeah. That would be something where we would facilitate that within a standard JSON format. And we have it in there where you can deploy all this stuff. It goes through, deploys that stack, puts OpenShift in there. And then at the point when OpenShift is up, that's kind of where our software hands it off. Oh, okay. Right? okay. That's, where, yeah. that's where the organization starts to run their own automation. But that's um, the, the high end then. You stop when the OpenShift installed. But you were also talking about how far are you going down? Are you going down to BIOS level and RAID settings on the service? We well? are. Okay. Yep. I didn't yep. know that. That's a long way down. I mean, most of the tools that we talked before, that provision service like Matchbox, Moss, they don't start at that level. They start with the, right. the boot level. You start the boot the server, and then yep. they take over and install. Uh, yeah, we 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 right now our focus. Uh, one of our major focuses is that, that which is the most painful part, and that is the, all these BIOS settings, yeah. you know, specific yeah, firmwares, yeah. getting everything to that server where it's prepositioned properly. That's really where we've been focused heavily because uh, every customer we talk to. It, it, that's a universal pain point. They're like, we can't take it anymore, you know, because we have all these people on, on the data center floor moving things around. They're having to log in. They're using three different tools. Yeah. They're just sick and tired of it. So that's where our product comes in. And, you know, you you literally go in there, you you scan, it, it discovers all the assets, and then you can have a set of, temp, you can have a template for, let's say you have a Dell R730 or 740 or whatever it is. It would go through those steps and make sure that the firmware is updated, make sure the BIOS meets a very specific um, uh, template for the organization, make sure the storage is pre-positioned properly, all the disks are ready to go, and then it basically puts that node in the pool and it says, here you go. And you know, whatever operator it is for OpenShift they want to deploy a cluster, they know that system is available, but they also know exactly where it is, what constraints it has on it, and what groups of people can effectively use it. Yeah. Um, and bring it to a production 
type of um, setting. Yeah, and, and that goes back back to what you said before, Michael. Like uh, standardization. But why can't they standardize which key to press to get the various menu? Like, is it escape? Is it F two? What what is it? Right. You see the both screen. You're trying to press every button to to get to the various settings. It's uh, yeah. It'd be nice to to let that go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're both laughing because that is like that's the worst. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like you know, it's just it's a, it's a total time suck, and people hate it. Yeah, that's yeah. um, that's what we automate. As you might have noticed, uh, everyone really got drunk on cloud and virtualization so much so that those low level skills have really are in demand. Yeah. And um, because you know, with um, the continued growth of data centers, I mean, last year there was. The megawatt consumption went up 137%, right, across data centers. And this is hyperscalers were leading that, but um, private cloud growth still grew substantially, like double digits, around 11%. So, you know, the need for these skills is growing and the use cases are growing. Yeah. Let's go back to that because that's one of the issues that I'm back in bare metal. You know, when we talked before, I said I was in a data center, I said, okay, I'm going to go cloud now. And I migrated. I say to to Andre and Julie, I'm always migrating between cloud and bare metal, and now I'm migrating back to bare metal. Because in Europe, we have this uh, Schengen 2 Act that say that you cannot run things on American company because American companies can't be trusted, right? Wow. Uh, what, what is that called? So <laughs> it's, it's Schengen, Schengen 2. It's, it's a law saying that if you are a company and you have personal data, say that my, my Gmail address is my private data, that can't be stored with American companies because they can't be trusted with personal data, more or less. Uh, and as you imagine, this kind of kicks in the, the need for private data centers, right? Yeah, that's, that's why I'm setting up one bare metal because uh, I'm on a bank and we need a private one. So let's get back to, to the applications, right? You have your service, you have your operation system. And when I want to install, uh, when I just PXC boot my service, I get the Linux disk, and then I usually use like a tool, like tool, like Terraform or something that goes into the nodes and then set up my, yes. I set up like with Typhoon, which is a provision tool for Kubernetes. I use that to set up the, the cluster and then it exit. And then I have my cluster, and then uh, the tool is, is no longer needed. Like, uh, mm-hmm. how is the service catalog work? You also use like a, a tool to get it working, or yeah, it's all integrated into the the main platform. So the way we generally handle it is after all the hardware provisioning is done, it's been positioned, everything's up and running. Um, we have a process where you can essentially stitch in whatever automated workflow you have right so we have a a few customers example where uh they use ansible exclusively and have a bunch of ansible playbooks they're running to do various things we don't really like ansible you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh it's just an example but i mean we have um we have a multitude of different um automation frameworks that we we use and support and yeah and it's it and we wanted to stay agnostic (laughs) in that sense right we didn't we didn't really want to lock a customer into a specific automation. But then it's more or less like a pipeline you kick in after it's done, right? You kick in a pipeline Correct. with yes. like some images yep. around, yeah. Similar That's to the other one. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So then I have a really hard, I don't know if it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be it's hard for me when I run things. Say that I have like four servers, right? I have node one. 
and then I have three and uh, two, three, and four. And then node one is really old, right? So I want to shrink my cluster now, remove this old server. The problem I have is when I run Terraform, uh, I can't remove the first node. I can only remove the last node because it's an array. So if I can just, of course, turn it off and it will be gone. But then when I run the tool again, right, to provision my cluster, it will say like, ah, 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 this is not corrected. The SH key is wrong or like the node name is wrong. So possible to shrink and expand. Yeah, so the, <laughs> the, the, it's, it, no, it's a complex thing because um, you have the cluster management, yeah. you know, where it's responsible for a lot of these things and it does it higher higher up in the stack. But there's also this is, this is an area where we we really see a lot of um, room for improvement. Um, is there's a callback process, you know, yeah. that really needs to take place back into the bare metal provisioning platform, and the, and that would then perform a specific set of decommissioning tasks. Is to your point, you know, it's a lot of times not just removing a node, but it's actually like going yeah. through an entire process and doing what you need to do with the node to get it in a decommissioned state. So yeah. we have a, we have an API exposed for that in that. Um, if the if the customer is interested in it, they can basically uh, stitch an automation into that uh, API, and then they can uh, go through a complete dish decommissioning process where it does certain things on that actual metal, yeah. and then it may substitute another box as an example that would be in this pool that's kind of sitting there, and then it would add it back in, and then that would work with that API to make sure that that's then available for that upper level stack if you yeah, will yeah. so that's kind of that's a huge area yeah. of um of opportunity um because right now it's kind of the story around it's kind of weak you know there's just there's really um it's either too complex to decoupled yeah or you know it's just not easy to use and it's not uniform and it's not a good standard for it so these are these are things that yeah, we're also th that's what i see as well i mean yeah. all the tools that you see things and they work to that point but you said as well like we're handing over here now is the client but then you come into this task of running uh, your bare metal things. Things happen. Yeah. One server maybe crash, and that yeah. set of like removing and adding is of course really hard. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a pain, and it's also um, it, it it's also incomplete. Yeah, you know we've always seen that process kind of incomplete. So we're we're doing things in that area to kind of try to improve some of those outcomes. The issue is, of course, with all these different. Um, stacks, you know, there's 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 cooperation that has to take place, or you know, there has to be some development around that API and how that actually calls back into a bare metal provisioning platform to to what, in my opinion, do the proper you know service yeah. chain of things to make sure that <laughs> node is you know wiped and clean. You want to have yeah, like right. this right thing to make it really clean so you exactly. can remove it and then flag it exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then there's a kind of a governance aspect, you know, that we exactly. Um, we, fo we, we focus on, you know, so like, you know, there's bare metal provisioning platform. One of the problems with a lot of these platforms is, you know, there's all these nodes and all this stuff people can do, but there's really not a lot of constraints. And that concerns uh, upper level management when they have nodes control, they have production workloads that have to stay on servers, can't be interrupted. Yeah. So really the idea behind Mojo is that it, it, it maintains a chain of custody over this infrastructure securely. Yeah has the role-based access controls, and then it has some governance and policy around that to ensure that, you know, this arbitrary group, you know, can't tap into it as an example and do something that they really shouldn't be doing. So there's, there's a set of hierarchy and approvals that we have built in there as well to, to make sure that that is, is taking place in a way that meets the organizational yeah. norms, yeah. you know. Um, you know, and then other things, you know, like you don't want stuff to cascade 
and you know you do a firmware update and you yeah, break yeah, every yeah. single node <laughs> in the data center, right? So you so you have to have some intelligence there to do these things, and yeah, that's another yeah, yeah, area yeah. of focus for us. <laughs> uh, you know, when I say bare metal, we, we don't usually they always say, but you can do that simply in the cloud. And I said, no, it's really simple to spin up the cluster. And that's really simple. Sometimes I say, like, well, it's easier to run my cluster bare metal than in the cloud. But what I miss is the integration that you get from the cloud between that's different right. services. That. I mean, I can set my uh, Kubernetes role to have access to the DNS provider or fetching things from that mm -hmm. one. Uh, I mean, buckets. Buckets are amazing. You can drop terror of data and you don't worry about them. But in what I kind of miss when I do bare metal is those integration between services to make it easy, to make it simple to work. And of course, you can't have unlimited storage, but um, different kind of services that work together. But in, in this service catalog, or do you have any idea how you can make, I mean, those things in bare metal work better together? Say that you want to grant access on the network layer from this server, uh, with this, I mean, this server has access now to access uh, port here on this database. Yeah, yeah, that's and that is, um, you know, through like I said, through kind of the the automation we have built in there, you can you can certainly do those sort of things within the service catalog, and that's and that is one thing that we recognize, right? Yeah. Is, is if you have people that are coming out of the public cloud and they've used all these these tightly integrated tools. They don't care, you know, what the underlying infrastructure no. looks like at all. They don't want to mess with no. it. They don't want to mess with firmware, bio settings, all that crap. They just want to know. Yeah. So, um, so that that experience, we're, we're trying to mimic that as much as we possibly can. So there's a level of familiarity, but also somebody that's DevOps oriented, you know, there's, there's automation they're familiar with yeah. in the product as well. And then you can kind of take it any way you 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 effectively want to change. You know, network devices, like you mentioned, if there's there's specific network device you need to set, change VLANs, yeah. as an example, on a switch, right? Those are all things that have to be done. We see that as kind of a conjunction with the server provisioning process. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people, it's dead on arrival. If you can't if you can't chain these things together, you know, into a standard automated process, that's not a complete pain to deal yeah. with. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a major focus for us. Uh, yeah, I see it all the time. I mean, and we talk about automation and things, and one of the things that we also kind of miss in in uh, in, in bare metal is in the cloud, you have this endpoint, you know, if you're a different cloud provider, you can use Terraform or whatever, and then you just run your command against this uh, endpoint, and things happen. I mean, we're talking about more or less the manifest approach when you describe your tools and then it's handed over to you by the cloud miner. It sounds a little bit like a service catalog can do similar things. So you can describe, I want to have like a cluster and access to these things and it can help you deploy them for you. Yeah, that and that's um, absolutely correct. That's kind of the way we positioned it is... Um, it's kind of like a playground for all that automation and, you know, being able to one focus is, is to, to bring that together with all of the stuff that we do really well with the metal um, and do multiple different tasks. But, you know, part of that process is important too, is that when you're doing all those things, you of course want some callbacks, you know, to, yeah. to notify the system it's done it properly. So you can move <laughs> on to the next step. So there's callbacks and checks yeah, and yeah, a bunch yeah, of other yeah. stuff that you can kind of, you know where I'm going. It's just, there's oh, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah, 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 stuff yeah, yeah. that can be added into that process. 
And yeah, the RBAC with server locking yeah. as well, right? So once the system has been deployed, it shows up and, uh, you know, we can do different things to make sure that uh, from a um, availability perspective, no one else can touch it. Uh, uh, little features like that, that, uh, you know, make the product much more usable uh, across the board. Yeah. But this, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of like the background that we have, you know, I've been in, I was in healthcare for a long time as well as things, you know, and that's, this is a, a focus on our product is putting those controls in place. So, you know, if somebody goes in and they uh, I, um, accidentally override a fetal monitoring system server, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> then you have a situation where, you know, you're probably going to go to jail, you know, it's yeah. like, so I, I just, you know, so we, we, um, we, we have that, like Mike said, this stuff is locked, right? It is a, there's a high level administrator that can only approve changes to those nodes. It goes into production. That's where it sits. So these are these are also really important things from a um, you know upper management, you know, kind of governance policy, yeah. you know, SecOps type stuff. You know, logging, auditing. We we make all those things very easy. You know, beyond because you know with the discovery process, right? We find out we flee so, so much information from each of these servers enabled by the retro yeah. specification, right? That we can see all of these things. So you know, we'll know. Uh, you'll know exactly which servers are at which BIOS level, which uh, servers are at any particular, or even uh, peripherals are at uh, a particular firmware uh, level. So we do a lot of work um, with uh, GPUs as well. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, these things are where in the past it was very difficult to find this stuff out and you had to play around with the F keys <laughs> and hope that you uh, knew which one to press. And, you know, now we turn that into a, uh, a um, ubiquitous single pane of glass that can work with any server, any manufacturer. Um, it makes life a yeah. heck of a lot easier. Uh, so I have uh, one last question here for you, right? Say that mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I still want to use some cloud and I still want to do bare metal. Yeah. What is your protein on the hybrid cloud solution here? Can you provision the hardware or like EC2 something and add them to, to the same pine of glass? Glass, what do you call it? Pine of glass, pine of glass right? Yeah. Yeah, pine of glass. Yeah. So we don't we don't have any you know hooks in the public cloud in the product specifically, but what we do have, you know, is like API kind of for everything model. So yeah. if there's if there's work work workflows in, in the cloud that are done and there's some cooperation as an example through like a BPC, you know, where it's actually touching a private um, data center um, and you have to do certain things on metal there. That's, you know, where you can utilize the API to have our system do specific things. But as far as, you know, direct public cloud interaction, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're not um, working specifically in that space. You're familiar with American baseball, but the amount of statistics they keep are, it's truly stunning. There's 15 cameras yeah. filming every possible thing and actually mapping that digitally. Um, so it's just unbelievable the uh, fan experience that they can enable from that, and that's that. I mean, everyone's hybrid. You know, there's very few companies that are pure public um, or pure private for that matter. Yeah. So the integration points there, we provide flexibility across the board. Work yeah. with all the public cloud providers to enable uh, whatever it is that the customer needs to do. But from an infrastructure perspective, obviously, we're not building those clouds. Uh, that would be that'd be kind of cool. But uh, yeah, we we take care of our stuff, and they take care of theirs. What kind of integration points do you have? You have like a load balancer coming into. How do you receive traffic to, to your uh, to your network or like to your loads? Say that they want to open up a, a port to access web traffic. Uh, yeah, so we have, um, of course, specific to the infrastructure, um, you know, but. Uh, 
we have a standard management hook yeah. for the API. You know, so as long as long as that you know is open to the firewall, it's accessible. They have the proper API key. You know, you, like you mentioned, some load balancing type. If there's like a global load balancing type of okay, scenario, cool. some web services. You know, we 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 can certainly accommodate a lot of those things um, with our model. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. I think I'm out of question here, but I think Michael has some Swedish uh, <laughs> words you want to you want to test. Oh my goodness! Come on! Uh, I, I wish yeah, I yeah. did. I actually let me see here. I had a I pulled up an AI model that allowed me to do English, to Swedish, <laughs> and it was it was recorded and everything. And now I can't seem to find it. But uh, yeah, oh, next okay, time okay. I will I will see one. how the uh, the AI is ready for you. So. Yeah, with ChatGPT, right? <laughs> Everything and anything is possible, and now these new. Uh, it is, yeah. but then we can pa- practice. Then we can take every other word, Swedish, English, and see. Right, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Okay, but but with that, I said thank you so much for for joining the the podcast, and uh, yeah, take it was care. really a pleasure, Matthias. Thank you. All right, have a good one. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's been great. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcast and notes go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.